We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 tonight. We're going to take a, a brief break from our doctrinal study we've been doing on Wednesday nights, um, partly because we came to the end of a section, and rather than start a new section tonight and then take two weeks off and then come back, um, it seemed like a good idea to, to take a break and think about Christmas, which is... Uh, that's what I wanted to do anyway. So I, I was thinking about, you know, which way should we go? I was like, well, I really would love to talk about this passage from Luke. So um, Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 67 to 79, um, <clears throat> which is uh, the prophecy of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, we remember the story um, that Zechariah was a priest, and uh, his wife had not had any children, and uh, he went into the temple one day to uh, burn incense, when it was, or offer incense when it was his uh, turn, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, told him that his wife was going to have a son, and that his son was going to basically be the Elijah that God promised would come before the day of the Lord, who would um, you know, turn people back to the Lord and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and so on. And uh, Zechariah said, well, how am I supposed to know this is actually going to happen? And uh, the angel didn't take too kindly to that. <laughs> he said, I've been sent from God to tell you this message. And uh, basically, since you didn't believe me, you're not going to be allowed to talk until this takes place. And so he came out of the, out of the temple. He couldn't speak. They, the people realized that something had happened. And um, sure enough, his uh, wife conceived and um, in due course had a son. And uh, when she gave birth to the son, it was time for them to name him. And uh, Elizabeth uh, said, well, his name's going to be John. What? Why are you going to name him John? There's nobody in your family named John. Where'd you come up with that? So then they asked Zechariah, who can't talk. And so he asks for a you know, little tablet or something where he can, he can write. And he writes, his name is John. And immediately his tongue is loosed and he's able to speak. And you know, people are marveling and saying... What kind of child is this going to be, right? This is a dramatic thing that, um, you know, they probably put two and two together and said, seems like this whole thing started around that time Zechariah went to the temple and came out not being able to talk. And now when he says what the name is going to be for the child, now all of a sudden he can talk. Uh, this seems like something out of the time of the prophets, you know, like what is going to happen? Who is this child going to be? And uh, Zechariah's prophecy um, answers that question, at least in part. It's verse 66 where they say, what then will this child be? And uh, then in verse 67, Isaiah or Zechariah begins to prophesy, and we learn uh, both about what Zechariah realizes God is up to, um, at that time, and what role his son is going to play in all of that. So it says, uh, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, <clears throat> to guide our feet into the way of peace. So at the beginning there, we're told that Zechariah was filled with the Spirit and he began to prophesy. And I just want to say one little thing about that. I still remember, even though it's been oh, 12 years probably, maybe longer, um, since I took a, a New Testament survey class in seminary, and I took it on um, a weeknight, and so it was one night a week. Um, I think it was from like six to nine at night, um, and I loved that. That sounds you know terrible to be in class at, at night from six to nine o'clock for that long, um, but I loved that class because. Um, my professor was just really good at helping us see things in the Gospels that uh, that I hadn't seen before, I think. And it was just fascinating to sit there. And, I mean, I could listen to him for hours. And I remember one of the things he said that has stuck with me is he said in the book of Luke, and I think in the book of Acts as well, anytime someone is filled with the Spirit, they speak for God. Right, so that's not saying that everybody who's ever filled with the Spirit is going to prophesy or anything like that. But it's something, if you start, if you read through the Gospel of Luke looking for that, it's sort of a theme that Luke um, gives us over and over and over as someone's filled with the Holy Spirit and they, they speak. Um, and when they speak, they're not just saying what they think, they're speaking for God. And that's what Zechariah does here. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies and he starts blessing God right in verse 68. And the reason why he blesses God is because he says uh, he has visited and redeemed his people. Right? So um, <clears throat> the context here, of course, is um, not only what Zechariah has been told about his own son and how he's going to um, you know, be this Elijah who is supposed to turn people back to the Lord and prepare uh, people for him, right? But he's also been around when um, Mary, after she heard from the angel uh, about this child she was going to bear, remember she came to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house and stayed with them for a while. And when uh, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb rejoiced and leaped for joy. And, you know, Elizabeth says, um, you know, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth knows this is this is the Messiah. This is maybe even she might even have put together this is God Himself being born as a man. Um, and uh, so Zechariah knows about all this stuff too, right? He know he knows about the significance of his own son and the son that uh, Mary is carrying. 
And so he says, God has come to visit us, right? God is, uh, he, he's, uh, in a sense, taken notice of us once again. Not that he has forgotten about us, but he is, he's now actively working for us. He's visited us and he's redeemed us. Um, he is, he's come to rescue us. He's come to save us. Uh, and how has he done that in particular? Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, remember in the in the Bible, the in the Old Testament, the prophecies about the Messiah um, are you know they start out general at the beginning and then they get more and more specific, right? We know it's going to be a child, right? And then we know it's going to come from Abraham's line, Isaac, Jacob, and then eventually we know that it's going to that this Messiah is going to come from David's line because David's going to have a son who's going to sit on his throne and reign forever. Um, and so Zechariah says, "Now is the time, right? Where God has raised up for us uh, a horn. There just represents strength or power or might." Right? Uh, a horn of salvation in the house of David. So from David's line, he has brought to us a strong Savior, right? a horn of salvation. And so these promises from the Old Testament are being fulfilled. That's what he says in verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Right? So what he is doing in me and in and, and my wife and in Mary and in the two sons that that these two women are carrying is he is fulfilling the prophecies that we've heard read in the synagogue Sabbath after Sabbath that we have anticipated that we have longed for that we have prayed for he's now doing what he said he would do and here's what he said he would do verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, that sounds very Old Testament to our ears. That's not uh, the first thing that usually comes to our mind when we talk about salvation, right? The first thing that comes to our mind when we talk about salvation is usually forgiveness, right? And Zechariah is going to get to that. That's an important part of it. But the first thing he mentions is this deliverance from our enemies. Um, And that is an important part of of the whole Bible's teaching about salvation that we often forget. Um, I can't remember, I think we talked about um, in our doctrinal study way back when we were talking about um, the cross and the work of Christ and what Jesus accomplished. Um, I think we talked about this doctrine we call Christus Victor, where Jesus triumphs over Satan and the demonic powers. Part of what he does in his death on the cross is not only forgive our sin, but also cast out the ruler of this world. Remember he says that in John 12 as he's about to go to the cross. He says, now, um, what does he say? Now is the time uh, for the judgment of this world. Maybe now is the time for this, the ruler of this world to be cast out. Um, and this goes all the way back to that verse I love to remind you guys about all the time. Genesis 3.15, right? Genesis 3.15, in the wake of Adam and Eve's sin, the, the, what God says <clears throat> uh, about the deliverance that he's going to bring about is he says that the woman is going to have a child who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And so he's going to conquer our enemy, the one who helped bring sin into the world. And that, that part of the promise 
um, continues through the Old Testament. In Genesis 22, after um, uh, Abraham has uh, offered up Isaac and God has provided a substitute, and so Abraham didn't have to sacrifice Isaac, they sacrificed the ram instead, Uh, God reiterates his promise to bless Abraham, to multiply his offspring, and he says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, which means he's going to conquer them, right? If you you possess the gate of your enemy's city, that means you're in control of the city now, right? Once you breach the gate, the city is essentially yours. So there's another, like, you're going to conquer your enemies. And in in, uh, Balaam's uh, oracle about the Messiah, Numbers 24, he talks about, you know, their enemies being crushed. Um, This is what the story of David and Goliath is about, in part, right? Goliath represents the serpent. He is an enemy of God's people. He's blaspheming God's people. And what does David do? He crushes his head with a stone right in his forehead. Um, And uh, the book of Esther, right, is the same thing. The enemies of uh, God's people, led by uh, that wicked man Haman, are trying to destroy the Jews. God delivers them, and Haman is destroyed. Haman is hung on the gallows that he had prepared to kill Mordecai the Jew upon. Uh, And so all throughout the Old Testament, uh, part of God's deliverance, part of God's salvation for his people is the destruction of their enemies. And that's uh, the case at the end of the Bible, too, in Revelation. Right When Jesus comes back, uh, the Bible talks about however you know, we put together the pieces of how all this is going to play out. The Bible talks about more than once these great battles that are going to take place where Jesus is going to conquer um, his enemies. He's going to conquer um, people who have been um, opposed to Jesus, and uh, he's going to destroy them. And, uh, and, you know, show that he's the king of kings and lord of lords and all that. So um, even at the end of the New Testament, you have this deliverance uh, from the enemies of God's people. So um, that's true from beginning to end in the Bible. Um, right now, though, uh, we are not called to destroy enemies or anything like that. Um, we are... Um, called to suffer, right? Jesus, when he came the first time, he did not, he did not come like people expected him to, to, to crush the Romans. Uh, we can understand why they expected that, but that's not why he came the first time. He came instead to suffer. And then um, when he comes back, though, those who have refused to repent, he will conquer, right? He will destroy um, in the meantime, we follow Jesus' example and we suffer when necessary. When we're persecuted, we have to endure it. Um, but when, we, when he returns, he will conquer our enemies and then we'll get to enter in with him into the new heavens, the new earth, the new creation. We'll get to reign with him, be seated with him, and there'll be no uh, enemies there. There'll be nothing accursed in there. There'll be no people who are opposed to God there. So um, part of our deliverance, part of our salvation too, <clears throat> is this um, a deliverance from our enemies. <clears throat> so he's going to save us from our enemies, and he's going to do this, uh, Zechariah says, because he's keeping the promises he made to Abraham in the Old Testament. So verse 72 of Luke 1, he says, to sh- the reason he's doing this is to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So <clears throat> he's, he's showing us the mercy, the steadfast love, the, 
the faithfulness, the, the grace that he promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on. Um, he's remembering the covenant, the promise that he swore to Abraham. Not only, you know, that he would uh, have a son and not only that they would live in the promised land, but that God would bless him and multiply him and bless all the nations of the earth through him. Uh, and all those things, all those promises that were ultimately aiming at the coming of Jesus. Zechariah says, now is when he's, he's fulfilling those promises. Now is when he's fulfilling that covenant. <clears throat> and uh, the place that, uh, the reason we need to be delivered from our enemies, he comes back to in verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, here's why that's important, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So, in other words, one of the reasons why we long to be delivered from those who have aligned themselves against the Lord and against his people is because uh, the enemies of God uh, try to destroy God's people. Right? I mean, some of, the, some of the most obvious examples besides the ones we've mentioned already about Haman and Goliath and whatever. Um, I mean, think about Pharaoh. Kill all the baby boys born to the Hebrews. Enslave all the people. Um, Herod, same way. When he hears the Messiah is born, kill all the babies in Bethlehem because we don't want God's Messiah, God's promised king. Um, Whenever there are people who are uh, opposed to the Lord and opposed to his people, um, it causes trouble for us, right? And it creates fear, it creates anxiety, it creates difficulty. This is why Paul tells us to pray for all those who are in authority, for kings and governors and so on. Pray for them so that we might live peaceful and quiet and godly lives in Christ Jesus. Pray that they would leave us alone. In other words, that they would let us worship the Lord and obey him and and just be okay. Um, And so he says, uh, we want to be delivered from our enemies so that we might serve the Lord without fear. Right? So that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness uh, all of our days. So that we would not have to worry about people saying, you can't do that, you can't say that, you can't meet this place, you can't do these things, you can't hold those views. Um, we, when we are delivered from our enemies, we're no longer under those who want to oppress us and keep us from uh, doing the things that God says. Then the goal, the, the aim of that is not... So we can say we won or that we're on top. The goal of that is so that then we are free to worship and free to live lives that please God without uh, coercion and, and whatever from outside. That's, that's part of why the new creation, heaven, right, is going to be so great. Is because there's no longer going to be anything um, attempting to restrain us from full obedience to God. There's not going to be any people who are causing God's people to fear. So we're going to be saved from our enemies. Uh, God's keeping his promise to Abraham. Um, God is acting now in the birth of John and and more so in the birth of Jesus to bring about the fulfillment of these promises, to bring about the salvation uh, that he had spoken of in the Old Testament. Now, what's John's role in that? Verse 76. And you, child. So now he turns to his son who's just been born. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So John is going to be both a prophet and a forerunner. As a prophet, 
He is going to speak for God to the people, right? He's going to tell them what God wants them to hear. And the main thing he's going to tell them is you need to repent, right? That's John's main message. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and turn back to the Lord. You've been going your own way, doing your own thing. You need to turn back to God. Um, So he's a prophet who speaks for God to the people. And he's a forerunner who prepares the way for the Lord, right? You will prepare, or you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So before Jesus comes on the scene publicly, before his public ministry begins, John is doing this preparatory work telling people he's coming and you need to get ready. The king is coming. I mean, it's just like when... um, you know, we've heard about when uh, when there used to be <coughs> kings and whatnot. Um, they would send out messengers ahead and say, "Hey, the king is coming. You, you got to fix this pothole. You know, you need to spruce up the gate a little bit. You know, polish the marble because when the king comes, you don't want his carriage, you know, bouncing in the pothole, and you don't want him looking at." you know, grimy countertops and all that. So you, every, we want everything to look nice for him. It's very similar to how things work today when the president shows up somewhere, right? You got an advanced team that says, here's all the stuff we got to do to make this secure, safe, uh, appropriately presidential, all those kinds of things. That's John's job. John's job is to say, hey, guys, the one we've been waiting for is about to be here. You need to think about what you need to do to get ready so that when he comes, you're eager to receive him and he doesn't find you unprepared. And the main thing you do to get ready, again, is to repent. Turn your heart back to the Lord. Um, So that's what John's going to do. And part of that is going to involve helping them um, understand uh, salvation, right? Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of of their sins. So um, what does that mean that he's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people? Well, one of the things it means is he's going to tell them where salvation is going to be found, right? He's going to point to Jesus like he does in, in John one, he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy. This is the one, all all those lambs we've sacrificed all throughout the years, this is the one who's come to be the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice that will truly take away our sins. Jesus, he's the one. He's going to help them understand uh, that salvation involves forgiveness. right? So, again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to come to forgive us. um, And that's why John is saying you need to repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to confess that you're a sinner. Turn back to the Lord. The Messiah is coming to deal with our sin, to take away from our, to take away our sin, and um, you need to get ready for that. Understand that. And the first part of that is repentance. And the reason why God is doing this, the reason why this salvation is coming to us, He says, verse seventy-eight, <clears throat> is because of the tender mercy of our God. That's a beautiful little phrase, right? The tender mercy of our God. Our God is not rough. He's not cruel. He is tender and merciful. And that's why he is not only sending his son into the world, but sending John ahead of him to prepare the way so that people will receive him and listen to him when he comes. And then the last section um, is the hardest uh, in some ways to explain, but I think it's just a poetic way of describing the coming of Jesus, right? Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So 
um, the, because of the tender mercy of our God, the sun is about to rise, right? That though we've been in darkness, though we've been in need, though we've been lost, um, and in the shadow of death, God is sending His light, His sun, His sunrise to shine His light upon our dark and dreary lives and to give, um, uh, to guide us into the way of peace, both, both peace with God and peace with one another, which, again, only comes through repentance and the forgiveness of sin. So when Zechariah <clears throat> realizes, uh, and he had a lot of time to think about this, right? He had probably close to a year to think about what the angel had said. Uh, then he had time to think about what Mary said. And um, by the time his son is born, uh, he's done a lot of thinking, as you can imagine. And he understands, at least in part, the significance of what God is doing. And he is just overflowing with praise to God because of this great salvation uh, that he is getting to see in his own day, that they've been waiting for for so long, um, that is now finally uh, finally dawning. So uh, 